0: So we are uh, in Ephesians. If you need a Bible, I don't know if we have people to pass out Bibles, but we have some right here. And if you do need a Bible, raise your hand, and I, I'm sure someone will figure it out. Um, raise your hand high. We just love to pass out Bibles for one, so you can follow along with us. But then two, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to gift you with this uh, Bible. We'd love for you to just have it, look at it, read it, explore. It, ask us any questions that you have about it. And if you've never really read the Bible before, I suggest starting in the book of John. It's a really good uh, gospel uh, and story of Jesus's life, and so that's a great place to start. But we're in the book of Ephesians, and. Um we're in this section of Ephesians where we 're seeing what does it look like for us to be a mature church or even a maturing church and and Vince and, and Ephesians really set up the series for us well by saying a maturing church is a church that grows up into Jesus so that when we grow up, that we would become like Jesus, not a basketball player, Eric, um, but that we would grow up into Jesus. Just kidding. Hey, if you can make the NBA, just remember, tithe. And so... but we are supposed to grow up into uh, Christ. And even though we might have different kinds of vocations and different things, that that we do those vocations to the glory of God and that we see that those vocations serve and love and care for the world in different ways. And so uh, we're seeing though what what it means to be a mature church. And part of how um, Paul in Ephesians is laying that out for us is he's saying, put on certain things and put off other things. And so we could easily say, hey, there there's this list of things I'm supposed to do, and now there's this put-off list of things I'm not supposed to do. and I want us to be careful to not make a list, because quickly the list just becomes, here's how I be a good Christian, here's how I be a bad Christian." when I think what Paul is calling us into is actually to put our identity in Christ. That as we mature, we become more and more like Jesus Himself. And I think Paul's also saying that when we put off these things, we're actually putting off the fake parts of who we are, the sinful, forced parts of who we are, and we're putting on who we are, have authentically been created to be in God, in Christ, in His family. That this is the imago day that is on us. This is who we're supposed to be. This is what we put on, and so it kind of reminds me of of junior high a little bit, like it, it, this putting off and putting on, and how we kind of put on these fake parts of who we are, and we put on the real part, the real authentic person that God has made us to be. In junior high, I don't know if you guys experienced this at all, but my friends in junior high. There would just be a day, all of a sudden, in seventh grade, where Billy would just come to school, and Billy, he just used to just dress normal and just whatever, he's all of a sudden like a goth kid, and I'm like, Billy, what happened? I, and I, I don't know what if, God, if I don't know what goth kids are, but or if they exist anymore. But when I was a kid, there was goth kids, and you'd be like, Billy, what's going on? You know, I'm just trying this new style, or whatever. And then a few months later, often Billy then he would just come to school punk rock, or he came to school like I just call it like hot topic, like just with like chokers or. On his neck or whatever. And then when I was in junior high, sync was cool. So people would come to school looking like sync all of a sudden. And, and it was just all kinds of um, things. And then this is what happened with almost every one of those kinds of kids who kind of went through these different phases and fads of clothing is eventually by about ninth grade, they put all that off and they just start dressing how they want to dress. They stop looking at what they think society says is cool or what their friends think is, is cool, and they just kind of dress how they want to dress. Now, some of them stayed goths or punk rock or whatever, and we're praying for them, but um, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. You can dress that way. Um, but no, but, uh, but but they began to kind of be their authentic self. They began to be their authentic self. They put off kind of the fake force parts of who they are, and they put on who they really are. And I think for us to be a maturing church, we have to realize that this is what's going on here. We're putting off these fake force things, and we're putting on who we authentically are created to be, okay? And so, so far, we, we've seen that we've put on truth, and we've put off falsehood, We've put on righteous anger, but we've put off unrighteous anger or undealt with anger. Um, we, and then last week we talked about how we put on generosity and we kind of put off thieving and and these sorts of things. And so today... We're, we're going to talk about something that I think could very easily become a list. It could very easily become this thing where we say, here's the list of good things I can do, and here's the list of bad things I shouldn't do. And so I want us to be careful with that. And so today we're going to be talking about putting on encouragement, putting on encouragement. And so I want to read these verses really quick. I'm going to read these a few times throughout the sermon. And so verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read them really quick and then talk about why I think this could very easily just turn into a list rather than look at what what really is going on here. So verse 29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul says in these verses, the the next things he's saying to put off and then put on, he's saying put off corrupting talk and speech and language among you. Put that off and instead put on the sort of speech that builds whatever place you're in up, that builds people up, that even your speech would give grace to those that here and I think we know that verse thirty is connected because the grieving of the Holy Spirit happens partially and due to all sin, but in due in light of this corrupting talk. And so, for me growing up, the reason why I think this could easily become a list, just a list of things to do today, is because for me growing up, when I cussing was like the worst sin you could do as a kid like always in Sunday school they were like then these kids over here cussing and like it was just always the worst example of the worst sin you could do and my dad took this really seriously like in my house cussing was an absolute felony okay I cussed one time each in front of each parent in front of my mom I was mad and she was merciful Um, in front of my dad I was just too young to know what I was saying but I still got uh, a time out And then um, I haven't cussed since because if I had cussed in front of my dad since then, uh, I wouldn't be here right now. And so it was just, it was like the worst, absolute, one of the absolute worst sins that you could do. In fact, every time we watched TV growing up. We'd be sitting there watching TV with my dad, and all of a sudden, someone would say a cuss word on the, sh- on the show that we were watching, and before my brain could even process that a cuss word had been said, my dad would yell, bad word, just like that, just like terrifying, and our hearts would leap. My heart would stop for a minute, and I'd be like, what is going on? I didn't even hear it, dad. And, just, and then he trained us, he trained us like Pavlovian dogs, that every time we heard a bad word on TV, my heart would begin to race, even if he wasn't in the room anymore, because of how often he would yell bad word, even like sometimes as an adult, I'm watching TV and I hear a bad word, I'm like, I got to change the channel, and like, I, I, I'm just, get, I get scared, and so for me growing up, cussing was like one of the worst things you can do. It's, a, it's kind of funny. Um, my mom said to me a few months ago, too, she was like, man, you know, one thing I'm just glad is my kids, they just, they don't cuss. They've never cussed. They don't cuss. I'm like, you are right, mom. I have never cussed. And if you're listening, mom, I haven't. And so, um, and so this was like just kind of like what was going on for me in the church growing up, that the cussing could just be the worst thing. And so when we get to this verse and we see corrupting talk, my brain uh, would go to cussing. Don't cuss. Like, that's what I've been taught. I, be, I, I, I get scared when I hear cuss words. Like, that's, that's what I've been taught. And, and I think, though, that's not quite what this verse is talking about. Now, hear me. There's probably a list of words you shouldn't say. But I think that this verse talks about something much deeper, And I think it's important that we get that because I think right now in society, people are so confused about what words you can say and what words you can't say right? We, we kind of have, it seems like the two loudest voices are kind of these voices. There's one voice that says, hey, I should be able to say whatever I want to say. You should understand I'm joking. And maybe sure, some things I shouldn't say, but hey, th- like I should be able to say whatever I want. And then kind of on the other side, I feel like uh, there's this growing like, hey, every single word is a bad word. Every single thing. Like, I'm, I'm reading articles every week that says, hey, did you know that if you say walk the dog, you're a racist? And it's like, what? And like, just different kinds of things like that, where we just kind of, we've taken different things and we've said, hey, this is, you're a really bad person if you say all of these words, or you know what, it doesn't even matter. And I think that scripture actually p- speaks to something much different It doesn't say every word is a bad word. It doesn't say that we can say whatever we want. It speaks to something entirely different. And I think that this verse, we have to be careful not to make a list with it. Because if we make a list, we'll convince ourselves we are righteous or we are holy when we're not. We'll convince ourselves that we're not speaking corruptly when we are. So two, two things Jesus said that I want to um, kind of frame what, what we talk about today. Uh, two things that I want us to, to, to see. The first thing is this. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus said, out of whatever we're saying, it's coming from somewhere in here. Something's going on in your heart. Remember, the Bible, when it talks about heart, it's not just talking about emotions. The Bible talks about heart and says it's like the center of the human personality. It's our, it's our emotions, but it's also our thoughts. It's also our will. It's also our desires. And so that's, it's kind of like the center of human personality. So Jesus says, out of there is what that's where your words come from. And then Jesus also said in Matthew 15, 18, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So it was really important to Jesus that we would connect our corrupting speech to our hearts. And so that's what I want to do for us today. Rather than give you a list of words you shouldn't say, although that was my first illustration. I would just read cuss words all day, but uh, I'm kidding. Um, I, I want us to, to look at this verse and, and see that, that it's speaking to a heart issue. It's speaking to an issue that you can do even if you're not cussing. Okay? And so that's what I want. And you know what? Verse 30, where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The reason I know that this is a heart issue, this corrupting speech, is because not just what Jesus said, but verse 30 Most theologians and commentaries and and people have studied these verses, they say 29 and 30, they're connected, that they're supposed to go together. It sounds like two different commands or two different ideas, but but many think that that Paul thought the corrupting speech that was happening in the church was, was grieving the Holy Spirit, was making the Holy Spirit sad. Right, your sin can make the Holy Spirit sad. Sidebar. For those of you that think, "Oh, God's like, okay with my sin." No, you know what? He's okay because of the gospel, you're saved, but he's not okay with your sin. He wants to bring you out of that. And the Holy Spirit is grieved by our corrupt speech, and the Holy Spirit knows that's happening in the heart because the Spirit lives in us. So here's my hope for today. That we're going to reread these verses and then we're going to hopefully clearly define what is corrupt speech. What is speech that, that is corrupting? And then we're going to look at how we can put that off. And then we're going to look, on, look at how we can put on encouragement instead. That's the second part of the sermon. How do we put on encouragement? And that's, that's all I have for us today. So, verse 29. Let's read it again. Recently someone told me they don't like when preachers reread the verses a lot. And I said that hurts my feelings. Um, (laughs) uh, Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may, may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul says, let's put off this corrupting talk. In line with what he's saying in the rest of the passage, he's saying, let's put off this corrupting speech. This word in the Greek for corrupting, uh, it's translated a few different ways in a few different translations, but this word is used in in a few different contexts. One way it's used, it's used to describe rotten wood, or wood that's like rotting. Um, It's used to describe rancid fish. Um, It's used to describe withered flowers. Uh, This word corrupting is used to describe uh, people or things that that were useless. It's kind of messed up. Um, Or things of of little worth. So Paul is using some strong language here. He's using some language that gives uh, some images in mind of rotting wood or withered flowers or or rancid fish. And he's saying, essentially, in, in the community, God In the church, do not let this sort of speech come out of your mouths, the sort of speech that makes things worse, the sort of speech that corrupts the people around you, the sort of speech that that rots the church, that makes the church seem like a rancid fish, that, that kills things, that withers things. Do not let speech come out of your mouth that, that makes the family of God a worse place to be. Do not kill the church with your words. And this, this is why I think it's so important that we don't just focus on bad words here or a list of words here, is because I think corrupt speech could come out of our mouths without ever saying a bad word. And so I want us to think through then, how do we figure out what corrupt speech is? And again, I think to figure it out, we have to see that it's linked to that, verse, that, that, that phrase in verse 30 that says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. and So this is what I want us to do for us to understand what I think corrupt speech is, is I want to look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the sort of character that the Spirit draws out and the Spirit is working on and causing us to be. And the fruit of the Spirit is essentially who God is being brought down into our hearts and causing us to be like God. And so I want to look at the fruit of the Spirit and then I want to look at the opposite of those things and realize that that is probably what corrupt speech is. So the fruit of the Spirit is this, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if corrupting speech is the opposite of those things, and I think it is, it would be speech that's hateful speech that's cynical not the good kind of like realistic like i just see things as they really are no like you just you are without hope and you your speech you're always trying to make people feel even more hopeless in your speech speech that's looking to fight speech that's looking to bring war speech that's irritable speech that's mean speech that's vulgar speech that's unfaithful to god speech that's harsh or speech that's uncontrolled? Do, are you beginning to see how corrupting speech could be said without ever saying a cuss word? That corrupting speech, if it has those kinds of qualities or characteristics in the wrong place at the wrong time, that that's what really makes it corrupting speech. I. Right? You know, I heard this a lot growing up. I've heard this even in our own church before with people having a conversation, and it alarmed me because I thought it was not biblical. This is what I heard. I heard somebody say, man, that guy, when he said that, it really hurt my feelings. And then the person, the other person said, no, you know what? He didn't hurt your feelings. You just chose to feel hurt. Now listen, I think there's maybe a little bit of truth to what this guy said, but the only problem with that is it's a biblical. It's not biblical at all. If you go to James and and look at how James talks about the tongue, it says that there's power of life and death in the tongue, and then it describes the tongue as a, a thing that could start a fire, a forest fire of destruction. It says your tongue, your words do that. And so I want us to be careful that as we go into corrupting speech, that we, as the church, would listen to God's word and we would understand that our words do damage people. They do hurt people. And it is your fault, not just their sensitivities. This matters. Paul is talking about what it means to be a mature church, and it is very important for him to point out that there should be no corrupting speech from among us. And so I feel convicted by this because when I find out that it's not just a list of cuss words but it has something to do with my heart and and what I do with my speech to others and in the community of God, then I realize that I too have corrupt speech. And so I want us to take a moment, I want us to sit, I want us to think through the different areas of our world the different places where where we live in community in particular with one another and where we use our speech and begin to think through is it corrupting speech do i find myself using corrupting language there in your rc's in your redemption communities are you are you are you, let me ask you this do you know can you tell that people don't like talking to you at your rc Sometimes it's on them, a lot of times it's on them, but sometimes it's because of your corrupting speech. It's because of how negative and down and hopeless and cynical and hateful you are. Or often what happens in our seas is this kind of like angstiness that where just everything is always wrong, and, and not just in your life and not just in their life, but just like everything's wrong with the RC, everything's wrong with the church, everything's wrong with leadership, everything's wrong with everybody except for yourself. I think that's corrupting speech. Because that sort of speech usually isn't looking at the situation as it really is. And then it draws people in to say, yeah, you know what, we should hate this RC. We should. Complain about this. What about in your families? In your, in your families, d- does, is dinner time a time of anxiety for your family? And is it because of your speech? Is it because of your talk? Is it because every time you sit down at the din- dinner table, you all get in a fight with each other? And, and listen, sometimes that happens in some homes and it's not everybody's fault, but sometimes it's just my fault, or it's just your fault. And so I want you to own that right now. Do you stir up division and hate and bitterness at dinner time? Or just in your homes in general? Think about the holidays when you go to travel to see family. Who's always getting fights? And why is it? Is it because of stuff you've said? Now listen, sometimes, again, we have to be careful, Uh, sometimes that happens because of other sinners, and maybe we're not sinning with the words we're saying, but I want you just to take notice and say, is it though because of the corrupting language that you're using? Language that's contrary to the fruit of the Spirit, and if it is, I want you to be convicted by it. If it's not, you just have a crazy uncle or something, just say, get behind me, Satan, or something like that, like, that's fine. What about with your spouses? Do you have corrupting language with your spouse or do you have language that builds up and loves your spouse and cares for your spouse? Or does your spouse come home from work and begin to tell you a story about Susan and then you just find yourself on Susan's side and and you're like, well, I can see why Susan did that to you. And then your spouse is like, I hate you and then leaves the room and you're like, I still think Susan did the right thing. Like that—that's. I think that's corrupting speech. There's something in us often that where we just want to be contrary to our spouses for no other reason than to puff ourselves up. We, we aren't looking for loving ways to talk about if Susan was right or not. Would your spouse say that you have corrupting speech, or would they say that you have a speech that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit? In your workplaces, how would your coworkers describe your speech? If I went up to them and said, hey, Pastor Anthony here, just doing a survey, what, what kind of speech does this person use at work? Would they say it's corrupting? Would they say it's life-giving? What would they say? What about this? In your close friendships, do you find that in your close friendships, you just, it just spirals out of control into vulgarity? It's just like, why am I even saying this? Like, you're thinking that, and the the person next to you is probably thinking it too, but you just keep going worse and worse and worse and just saying horrible, horrible things. This is all corrupting speech. There's more examples of corrupting speech, but it is speech that comes out of your mouth and makes the community that you're in worse. It makes it rancid, it makes it a place where it's dying, it makes it a place where wood would rot. That's corrupting speech. And so we have to repent of this. We have to put this off. We have to put this sort of corrupting speech, we have to put this sort of speech off. We have to realize that there's something going on in our heart when we speak this speech, when we use this kind of speech that's contrary to the Holy Spirit. We have to realize that maybe we're just trying to build our own kingdom, and that's why we're saying certain things, rather than look to God's kingdom and build His kingdom. Maybe you're just saying things just to, get, to pe- get people to look at you and think you're awesome and you're great. We need to put the speech off if that's the case. Maybe, again, you just want to puff yourself up. You want to make yourself feel good. You want to seem smart or right or whatever it might be, so you puff yourself up, up with corrupt speech. And then I I think there's a truth to this, too, is I think sometimes there's just something in your heart that wants to be mean. There's something in your heart that just says, you know what, I'm going to be mean to this person because I don't like them. I don't want to forgive them. I I just don't like their face. Whatever it might be, there's, there's this evil and hate in our hearts sometimes because of sin. And we embrace it instead of figure out why that's happening and give that to Jesus. All that sort of speech that's happening because of those idols, we need to push those idols out. We need to put off that sort of speech. We need to repent and we need to turn to God and say, God, what am I looking for in those things that I can only find in you? Instead of continue in this sort of speech that, that kills the places it's used. A lot of people leave the church. A lot of people walk away from the church. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's because of something that was done to them. But I think even more often, it's because of something that was said to them. And sometimes there's sensitivities there again. But a lot of times, it's because we let our churches become a place where corrupting speech is acceptable. Because it's not the list of bad words. We don't question tones and and ways of saying things in the church because we don't want to get too crazy or weird. But the, the, the Bible would say, check your heart. See what's going on there. And we as the community of God, we should feel free to talk to one another about that. And so we need to put off corrupting speech. So instead, let's put on encouragement. That's what the second half of verse 29 says, and so I want to reread that second half of the verse. He says, but only such, and he's saying the sort of speech here, the sort of speech as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we put on encouraging speech, we put off corrupting speech encouraging speech, looks at the place you're in, looks at the community that you're hanging out with or the people you're with and you think, how can I use my words to build up right now? Not to to tear down. How can I use my words to help? How can I use my words to love? How can I use my words to make this group of people or the people I'm around stronger? How can I edify them with my words? And so we need to put on encouragement. So go to your RCs and think through, am I really thinking through the idea that, here, I'm coming to this RC, I'm coming to this meeting, and I need to think through, how do I build up the people here today? How do I build them up? And our families, do you go home from work or you start the day off saying, how do I build up my family with my words today? How do I care for them with my words? In our marriages, how do, we, how do we bring kindness instead of harsh and mean words? In, in our friendships, how do we bring about God's goodness instead of vulgarity? We're, we're to put on encouragement. That's what, that's what we do in the church. That's what it means to look like Christ. That's what it means to be a maturing church or a mature church. And when we do that, what's amazing is the end of verse 29 there. It says that our speech may give grace to those that hear it. That people would hear our speech and they they would experience grace. Ephesians has talked all about grace at this point. The unmerited favor, the gift of salvation from God based on nothing that we have done and based all on that Jesus has done. Paul is saying in a mature church, when you put on encouragement or speech that builds up, that the people around you might get to experience and know God's grace, that they might get to know God's love for them. That's incredible. How extremely ordinary Right, A lot of us, myself included, I'm looking for the supernatural. I'm always asking God to do these supernatural things. But right here in Ephesians 4.29, we see we can just use ordinary words to bring about the supernatural, to give grace to those that hear. This is what we put on, church. We put on speech that builds up, not breaks down. We put on speech that is in line with the fruit of the Spirit not contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why, to me, it's more important that we just look at a list of bad words not to say, although I think that exists probably. But we have to realize that our hearts need to change. Because if we replace the bad words with neutral words, but we still have corrupting speech, it's still going to make the church a worse place to be. It's still going to make this world a worse place. And so, how do we do this? Like, again, it just kind of sounds like okay, Anthony, here's put off corrupting speech. That's really bad. Um, put on encouragement. That's really good. Okay, let's go. Let's do this. But I think here's the thing our hearts will never change unless we look to the gospel and we look to what Jesus did and we apply it to our hearts. And we look to how how Jesus encountered corrupting speech and how he may have used it to save us and how Jesus used uh, encouragement and how he put on encouragement to build up the church. And so I'm thinking through, I think it's interesting that, that when John opens chapter one of his gospel where he says, the word became flesh and Jesus was the word that for whatever reason, this idea of, of, of Jesus as word, and, and there's like a whole sermon series you could do just on that stuff, is how, how John opens his gospel. And then I think about how Jesus walked the earth and how he used his words. His words were always building up. He was teaching us about God. He was teaching us about himself, really. He was teaching us all sorts of things. He's teaching us the way of his kingdom, but more than that, his words were what would, co- would be what brings about his kingdom. He would see the destruction and brokenness of, of people's bodies, and he would say a word, and they would be healed. He would see a blind man, and they would be healed. He would see someone who couldn't walk, and they would be healed by his words. And so Jesus, in his holiness, in his lack of sin, in his lack of ever speaking a corrupting word, spoke so many words that edify us and strengthen us and strengthen this world. And then as he got closer and closer to Jerusalem, more and more people were saying corrupting words about Jesus, hateful words, terrible words, words that were false and not true about Jesus. And Jesus would respond, but he would always respond in love. And, and it's, it's ironic because Jesus, he goes to the cross accused, accused of saying corrupt language, accused of saying language that was wrong and, and, and lying. He goes to the cr- cross accused of that in a twist of irony because the whole time they're slinging corrupt words his way. They're slinging corrupt words at Jesus to put him on the cross for corrupt words that he never spoke. And then again, in another twist of irony, as Jesus is dying on the cross, being accused of corrupt words, having never spoke corrupt words, he's dying for your and my corrupt language. He's dying for the things in our heart that wants to go ahead and let out corrupt language to make our communities worse, to to not love people, but to hate people and treat people poorly. Jesus is dying on the cross for that. And then he dies, and, and, and to fulfill the words he spoke earlier in his ministry, he comes back to life three days later. And in this, we get life. We get to share in his resurrection. Jesus ascends into heaven and he sends the spirit. And now the spirit lives in us and works on our heart and is pushing our heart to become more and more like Jesus, who is our true identity and is who we were created to be so that we can put on encouragement and put off corrupting speech. And so if we truly want to change, don't just say, hey, don't do this, but do this. Think, "Uh, look at all this that I did, and look at all this that Jesus did for me, on my behalf to save me. And now his spirit lives in me. And begin to pray and repent and talk to God about those things. Begin to confess your corrupt language and begin to ask That he would make you a person that that could build up with your speech, that could give grace with your speech. So friends, I want our church to be this kind of church. I think we could get puffed up by by maybe doing Second Saturdays or doing foster care adoption or, or being part of an RC or whatever things could puff us up by the things we do, and then not even realize that we've let corrupt speech enter our midst, that we've let corrupt speech come out of our hearts through our vocal cords and out our mouths. I want us to be a church that builds up with our speech, that gives grace with our speech, that the world would be able to look at us and they'd, they'd experience Jesus through our words that the church, that we would be able to speak to each other in a way, that, the, that, that we would be able to see Jesus and know Jesus through each other's words. Church, can we, can we do that? Can we look to put off corrupt speech and put on encouragement? Let's pray. God, we, we love you and we need you. God, I'm convicted by this sermon because I know I, I've, I feel like daily I, I have corrupt language. I don't want that, God. Maybe I don't even mean that sometimes, God, but I've let my heart uh, walk into these patterns of sinfulness unchecked at times, God, and I want to repent of that. God, my lips are unclean and I, I do need you. God, help me to look to build up with my speech rather than tear down. God, help me to be slow to speak. Help me to analyze what's going on in my mind before I let these words come out. God, let us be a church that, that anyone could walk in from any background, and they don't experience, experience corrupting speech from us, but they experience a speech that, that encourages, a speech that builds them up, a speech that, that in some sense gives them grace or helps them to understand grace. God, right now, I feel like our world is a mess when it comes to how we talk to one another. God, let the church and let our church specifically be a beacon of light and hope in the midst of that. God, by the power of your spirit is the only way we can do this. By remembering what you did for us is the only way our hearts could truly change. So God, give us the ability in those moments where we want to speak contrary to the spirit. Give us the ability in those moments to to remember the gospel, to remember what you did, to remember how you loved us, to remember how you used your speech and how you never spoke a corrupting word. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.